Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald. It's Friday, February 4th, and it is my pleasure to introduce our guest today, Erica Anderson. And Erica wrote a book, uh, and Erica, you're going to have to remind me of the exact title since I am uh, doing our interview today from the car. It's called Being Strategic. There we go. And uh, I actually, I, I should remember that because I have been carrying your book around with me uh, for the last couple of months because as I have been working on, on a strategy for one of my clients, um, I love taking the perspectives and insights and, and some of the models uh, of my favorite authors. And, and although, Erica, you and I haven't talked for a long time, I just want you to know that uh, you really uh, struck a chord with me. Um, your book starts out with an analogy about a castle, and actually, on the cover of your book, uh, you know, is a is a clever uh, graphic of a castle. So, um, for those who haven't heard uh, about your book and and uh, heard the previous interview, why don't you just give us the thumbnail on you and Proteus, which is uh, the name of your your firm, and you know, kind of what brought you to write this book? Okay, that's a great starting point. So, I I'm the um, founding partner of a company called Proteus International. I started in 1990. And from the very beginning, our stated mission was to help organizations clarify and then move toward their hope for a future. So we've been on this kind of strategy as a way of life kick for 21 years. And um, the main reason I wrote the book was because we had developed a practice over the years of helping people get get clear about that. What is the future? You know, where are you starting from? What is the future you want to create for your organization or your team or even yourself? Um, what's what's in the way, and then how are you going to get there first strategically and then tactically? And um, as as we developed this practice, I saw that there were, you know, some people, as you said earlier, who think very strategically, some leaders who lead very consistently strategically, but I also noticed that there's a lot of, oh, just confusion and lack of agreement about even what strategy is or what the word strategic means. I often... When I'm speaking to large groups, I often start by saying, okay, how many of you have heard the word strategy used in a meeting in the last three months? And every single person, you know, raises their hand. And then I say, well, okay, how many of those times did the person using the word explain to you what they meant by it? And sort of no hands go up. And, you know, and I even have a Google alert on the phrase being strategic, you know, because it's the name of my book. And it's just fascinating to me how all over the map people are about. So, So here's this you know, pretty important concept and we don't really seem to have much agreement about what we mean. So I thought, well, I can offer a definition, which I did, and then write a book about how we approach thinking and, and behaving strategically and, you know, hopefully that will be a helpful thing to put out into the universe. And and the definition that I offer, as you know, Chicky, at the beginning of the book, is that being strategic means to consistently focus on those core directional choices that will best move you toward your hope for future. And it's simple, but it really implies a lot. It implies that you know where you're starting from, that you can get clear about what your hope for a future is, and then that you can make and sort of stick to, you know, those core directional choices, changing them if the situation changes, but that you can make core directional choices statements of intention, which is what we right. call strategy, and then kind of fill in fill in the blunt, you know, fill in the bricks of the path with tactics. So that's that's sort of a quick quick background of who I am and how I can write the book. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And and Erica, I, you know the the word picture, the 
that you paint around the the introductory story of the the pursuit of of how you make your world safe, you know, which the castle was, uh, you know, the penultimate, uh, mm-hmm. you know, solution for that. Can can you give us that in you know just kind of a thumbnail sketch? Because it, it lays out so beautifully the the analogy of of knowing where you're starting from, knowing what you've got to get around, over, through, uh, how to sure, stay on track, you know, to your goal. Yeah, the the I decided that it would be helpful. The other thing I noticed is that most books about strategy are, are they tend to be kind of heady and esoteric. And I thought, you know, this is a simple, practical set of tools and a way of thinking that really is learnable and that anyone can get better at, you know. And so I thought, well, I'll start with a, as you say, a word picture, a frame story. So I chose, there's a there's a guy that I really have a lot of admiration for. He's, he was a Welsh prince in the 13th century. His name was Llewellyn Bower. And uh, at the time, Wales wasn't even a country. It was just a bunch of, you know, little fiefdoms all fighting with each other. And he had this vision of creating a united Wales. And he actually did it and held it together for, you know, 50 years and what hugely long span of time by medieval standards. And so what I chose as a friend story was I started out and I said, okay, so, you know, they were, he and the people in Wales were being continually attacked by everybody, the Irish and the Scandinavians and the Normans and the, you know, Saxons. So um, I, the first thing I say is, well, you have to figure out what you're solving for. So I just proposed that at some point, probably he and his nobles asked the question, how can we defend ourselves and keep ourselves safe from all these enemies? And um, so then what you have to, what they did is they got together and they said, well, where are we starting from relative to that challenge? What do we have going for us? What do we have going against us? What are the things around us that could support or get in the way of us doing that? And then what would it look like if we if we were able to defend ourselves and keep ourselves safe. And their vision was an actual castle, a castle which even the ruins today exist now in a little town called Cricket in North Wales, this castle on the hill. So it was literally and kind of figuratively their vision of the future. And then I talk about, you know, they they think about what, what would get in the way of their making that. What are the obstacles, as Chicky says, that they're going to have to get over or around or through to build that castle. And then they create their three strategies. We need to design it. We need to build it. We need to figure out how to take care of ourselves while the thing is being built, those three core directional statements. And then he sends his guys out to, you know, figure out the specific tactics for implementing those strategies, and then they build the castle. So I I use that frame story at the beginning, and then as I go through and kind of take apart the model, I bring it back to Llewellyn and his guys building this castle. And uh, to your point, Chicky, I, I felt like it was a great way to sort of make it uh, evocative and sort of human, and it also happens to be true. I mean, I, I had to sort of fill in the blanks, but pretty much that's how it happened 800 years ago. <laughs> right. Well, you know, one of the things that that he had to deal with were, you know, obviously the objections. I mean, they didn't all just enthusiastically say, oh, okay, you know, we're right. going to follow you. And, you know, uh, we were talking in our meeting earlier, uh, you know, we're dealing with an organization that has, uh, you know, some cultural aspects to it that are peculiar to a not-for-profit and, you know, a, an organization that's trying to deal with members but really is a social change organization. And, you know, at the same time with a, a very ingrained culture. And one of our yeah. early meetings with the chief operating officer, you know, she just said, look, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. 
every day. So what mm-hmm. cultural things did he deal with uh, with his people as he was trying to get them on board with his vision of where they were going? Well, it's a great question. One of the th- so the, the way the book is laid out, as you know, Shiki, is that the first half is just going through the process. What is what is the model for you know approaching a situation in a strategic way, and then what are the kind of mental skills you need to do that? And then the second half of the book is well, how do you do this with a group? And in the book, I say, well, he didn't really have to worry about culture because you know he had the threat of dismemberment and death. I mean, he was the guy; he was the king. He could just say, go ahead and do this, but. Unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, we don't have we, we have to we have to get people on board. So actually, I spend a good part of one chapter talking about that. How do you get people interested and then subsequently invested in in using a process? And um, yeah, and we didn't think about dismemberment and death today. That that like didn't exactly. come up in our in our chapter. Sometimes it appeals. Sometimes it seems like it's being appealing alternative, but we don't have that you know option. So. Um, you know, I talk about how you have to first help people see what's in it for them to do this. I mean, sometimes we get so enthusiastic about something that we think, oh, everybody will just see how great this approach is. And as she said, I love, you know, culture each strategy for lunch. So what you have, you have to start from a framework of what is their culture? What do they value? What do they believe? How do they behave? And within the language of that culture, how can I tee this up for them? as a culturally appropriate way to solve the problems that they feel. So it has to both be, you know, a fit with the culture and and the way you speak about it, using the language and the values of the culture, but also it has to be, it has to, it has to seem to them to be a way to solve a problem that's a real problem for them. I was just talking to, to another consultant about this the other day. She was saying, boy, I can really see how, this company really needs X, and boy, we could come in and do X. And I said, well, but do they see that? <laughs> so you have to. There has to be an overlap between your client's felt need and what you're offering them. You have to be able to, dem- you know, show them. Oh, look, this thing that, you, this pain point that you have, this problem you're trying to solve, this process or this approach or what we're currently trying to do, that'll solve. That will. That could solve your problem. Okay, sorry, I'm just climbing up my stairs with all my bags. <laughs> I just got home. Okay, um, so you know, as, as you take a look at those barriers, I mean, because as you described the story, there were things that they, you know, quite respectfully came to him and said, you know, here are some barriers. So what are those kinds of things? And tell me, you know, what I'd really like to address today, Erica is has there been a change with the economic environment we've been in? Companies at all levels have gone through and they've cut back on resources. They've cut back on the people who had the institutional knowledge of industries mm-hmm. and of the companies. And, you know, they kept the lower level people and, and you know, got rid of really a lot of uh, talent. And yeah. Now the ability to actually get strategy done internally, I mean, maybe this is the really good news for you and me because we're strategic consultants, but if you're inside trying to get strategy done, what has changed? Well, it's a wonderful question. So let's step back and and go because now we're talking on the big level. So there, there are some really heartening signs that we've seen. I don't know if the rest of you guys have seen it, but what, what we've seen over the last, 
year or so, year year and a half, as as people, some many companies are starting to come out of the recession and feel more hopeful, is that a lot of people we're seeing a lot more call for this. A lot more people are asking us to come and help them with vision and strategy. And I think it's because a lot of people think, well, you know, we kind of ran into the ditch a couple of years ago and and we were behaving in some short-sighted ways that weren't working. Let's not do that again. And so I think a lot of companies are, are uh, wanting to think more proactively about, okay, how can we, let's get clear about the kind of company we want to have and how to create a sustainable future for ourselves so that we don't fall apart. So I think right. that's really good. I'm seeing it a lot. I see a lot of companies do that. And, and and you're right, a lot of companies that are coming to this process, however, much leaner with reduced resources. There are ways in which that's bad. You know, you're saying a lot of the institutional knowledge is gone and sometimes people are kind of limping along. But there are also ways in which that's good because what, what I've seen is that um, people have been both in negative ways but also in positive ways shaken up. When when you lose institutional knowledge, you also lose institutional sort of calcification and baggage, you know, that a right. lot of people are more flexible and more fluid in their thinking than they were three years ago and are willing to go, okay, let's approach this in a different way. Let's step back. Let's think bigger. Let's, let's think and talk about business models that we might not even have entertained three years ago. So I think there are ways that people who are involved in strategy as we are can really take advantage of a new, in some, in many places, a new fluidity of thinking about how to envision the future of your company. Yeah, you know what I have uh, observed in in my industry, which you know I've spent uh, close to thirty years, actually maybe a little bit more than thirty years in the in the travel industry, and all of the ancillary you know kinds of companies, technology companies, content companies. Um, who service uh, that industry, I have seen a lot more uh, hiring of people from other industries. Yes. Completely yes, disparate from travel. And when things were good and, you know, when everyone was riding high and everyone in the value chain actually liked and respected each other, um, there was a lot more insular behavior uh, yep. as it related specifically to hiring and, you know, actually even in hiring consultants because they, they pretty much stuck with the, the old guard and, and didn't look outside. And, you know, as I look at, at one of our current clients, I look at the breadth of backgrounds that the people that we're dealing with have. And, you know, they, they weren't, even though we're dealing with an, uh, essentially an, uh, an association, uh, of sorts, um, you know, they didn't hire a bunch of people from not not for profits. They hired people who had commercial background and and yes, from a yes. wide range of industries. I, you know, so, I, is that I've what you've seen too? Yes, yes, yes. I've been seeing exactly the same thing, and I think that it arises out of the sense of, you know, unfortunately, the 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 bad when things when times are good, you know, mm-hmm. there are many good things about that. But one of the downsides of times being good is that it breeds complacency. When things are going really well, people go, oh, well, we don't have to do anything differently. We can just keep along like this. We can just, you know, go according to the status quo. And I think the last couple of years have really shaken people up. And they're saying, wow, maybe we need to try some different stuff. Maybe we need to hire outside our industry. Maybe we need to look at some new business models. Maybe we we need to question some of our assumptions. And I think, you know, it's 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 difficult in some ways, but for the most part, it's great. Hmm. 
Interesting. Well, it, it's it's good to know that that's not something that is you know kind of in isolation uh, within my world. But um, you know, it's it's so interesting that um, the floodgates seem to be opening. Um, and, and you know, I mean, I, I think everybody is still incredibly cautious about economic recovery. But uh, Rebecca and I were chatting yesterday. You know, she spent months and months and months trying to get a full time, just a regular. Uh, job not not doing consulting or or project work, and you know didn't hear from anybody forever. And then you know just all of a sudden in the last few weeks she's she's had a real uptick in in people calling her. And at, yeah. you know on, on the converse side of that, you know uh, as a consulting firm we've just had way more activity than we've had in five years. It's not just the last eighteen months. It's you know five yes. full years for us yeah. since we've been yeah. as busy as we are. So. Um, you know, I think uh, again, it's it's time for people to say, you know, what we we can't go back to the old normal. It doesn't even exist in a shadow of its former self. Right. Um, exactly. So, how do you get folks to really define? Uh, you know, again, it, did the goal change? Did you know? Are we still building the castle on the hill, or? Do we now have to take a completely different tact, and how do you keep that from looking like you know wishy washy management who you know you said we were working toward this, and you know now we're working toward this? Where'd that come from? Well, I think it um it helps that, at least in the way we approach working with our clients we the one of the things we say over and over again is the well, for instance, the reason I called my book being strategic versus how to make a strategic plan is that from my point of view it is a it's it's being strategic, it's acting and thinking strategically over time. So, when we work with a client, we always say, "Look, we're we're helping you create a vision for the future two or three years out." We usually we usually go five years out, but things are changing too fast now. So, you know, we work with them usually two to three, maybe even four years out. And we say, "This is this is your best guess at the castle you want to create three years hence." given what your challenge is right now. But you need to keep updating your castle. You need to keep updating your vision. And I, and I make that point in the book. That, And it's true. I mean, when Llewellyn finished building his castle, he didn't just stop. He kept making it stronger. He built new towers. He raised the defenses. Because life is not static. Life does change. So one of the things we actually do with our clients is when we do a vision strategy session, we strongly encourage them to come back together six months to a year later, and just update everything. Say, okay, is it still the same challenge right. or has it changed? Are you Has your current state changed and therefore has your castle maybe changed? Have you gotten clear about what that vision needs to be as, as you've moved along and tried some things and gotten closer to it? And therefore, you know, if the castle's in a different place, then the strategies are going to be different. It's like, like when your GPS has to account for, you know, bridges being out and stuff. So, so we really help clients see the, the act of being strategic as a living act. You know, you have to keep doing it. It's not just you make your binder and use it as a doorstop. This is this is a map of the work. This is how you're going to keep clear about what you're trying to do going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that, you know, refreshing and figuring out what to throw out, you know, what is no longer yeah. appropriate um you know, here's here's the other thing that's kind of been a burning question for me. And again, uh, you know, a lot of this is in context of of the current demands that are placed on us, uh, you know, by one of our current clients. Is 
uh, you know, here we have an organization that doesn't move without uh, intelligence, and, and that, you know, mm-hmm. is in the form of customer feedback, it's in the form of surveys, it's in the form of segmentation. And and so I come from a background where, you know, you look at all the things around you and, and the depth with which you need to feel comfortable going into those details really depends largely, I think, on, on personality and propensity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I tend to make decisions uh, instinctively and, and with intuition and can enter into a research project with a client. And I remember five years ago doing this. Someone hired us to do, uh, you know, a research project. And, um, you know, we pretty much told them that we would do the research, but that even prior to the research we could actually tell them what that they what they were going to learn at the end, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that doesn't sit well with organizations who, who need a huge number of facts and you know I'm picturing Llewellyn in 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 the whole castle thing and you know the individuals around him challenging him to well you know exactly how many ships you know are are coming around the bend you know each week each month each hour and you know how many are behind them and how many men are actually on each one of them (laughs) you know so uh you can over um invest in understanding yeah. every piece of it, and by the time you have enough information to make a decision, you know the whole game has changed, or it's too late, and they're already there, and it's like, okay, now, you know, what color shoes do they have, and are the yeah. ones with brown shoes going to be meaner than the ones with black shoes, yeah. or yeah, the ones yeah, with yeah. no shoes? You really got to watch out for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Oh, talk to me about that. Yeah, talk yeah. Talk to me about so, the balance between needing. <laughs> Every piece of information right. before I do a strategy, or kind of the the opposite end of that spectrum, and I realize that neither one of them is the right answer, yeah. but just going on gut. Oh, it's a wonderful question. So, so, and it brings me to you know we have the, this process which I described and which I use Llewellyn as a kind of framework, but then there are three uh, core mental skills in a way that I've seen over and over are just essential to being strategic and. The use of those mental skills kind of balances out what you're talking about. And, and I'm going to say this, but I'll say something else. Uh, certainly this is a cultural thing. There are some companies that are just like, yeah, yeah, we know what's going on. Let's talk about it a little bit, and then let's sort for the future, you know. And there are other right. companies that, as you say, just want to spend, you know, many, many trees killed, you know, writing down all the stuff that they – so the, you need to get to the middle point, right? And And so these three mental skills are really useful for doing that. Um, the first one we call becoming a fair witness, and it's just what that means is just being as neutral and objective as possible about the data that you're that's in front of you. So you're not cherry picking it, you're not using wishful thinking, and you can you as a strategic consultant can really help people be fair witness and, and look objectively at the data. So so let's put that aside for a minute because that doesn't really talk about amount of data. The second one, and this is really important, we call pulling back the camera. Because often when people really want a lot of data, they they tend to stay too close to it. It's like if you imagine a camera pulled in really, really close to the action, you know, you would only, like if you, you know, when a camera is pulling really, really, really close and all you can see is the glass on the table, <laughs> you know. Right. Well, okay, you can see the glass, but you don't have any contextual information. So as a as a strategic helper, consultant, it's helpful to get people to pull back their viewfinder so that they can see the patterns in the data. 
because otherwise it's just reams and reams and reams of facts, you know. And some people are like, yeah, I want those 10,000 facts. But it's sort of, it's not until you pull back the camera that you can see what those facts mean. And I think that's one of our, one of the things that we as strategic consultants can do is help people make sense out of the data. And then the third skill is sort for impact. And this is where, this is the biggest help. It's sort of like, if you know what the challenge is, like let's say ARP's challenge, AARP's challenge is, how can we, uh, I'm just making this up, how can we uh, craft a business model that really keeps us relevant well into the 21st century? Let's say that's what they're sorting for, right? Mm-hmm. So then they have these piles and piles and piles of data, and you help them look at, okay, what of this data is really most relevant to that challenge? Because often when people do SWOT analysis, it's like they're just throwing that out of the whole ocean. But you can help them really focus their attention on the data that is most relevant to the problem they're trying to solve and then help them pull back the camera so they can really see the patterns in that data and they're not just looking at a million, you know, discrete chunks of information. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that that's really, really helpful. And, you know, again, I'm I'm thinking about uh, Marge and, and her situation of trying to help her uh, clients sort through the myriad of, of choices yes. and being able to come up with, uh, you know, I mean, we think it, I think about it most simply as just doing a list of pros and cons, but I really love the way that you just framed it because, um, you know, really thinking through the impact and, uh, you know, and to some extent the degree of difficulty because, you know, in building the castle, you know, he could have decided on a whole bunch of different materials and clearly it would have been much lighter to carry wood all the way up the hill, you know, than building right. it from stone. But then, you know, if the marauders come in and their first weapon is fire, you know, you really are You're in a world creep. of hurt. Exactly. Right? So let me offer you another little tool. So when, we, when, when we're with clients and we're getting to the point as Marge is where we're trying to select strategy or even select tactics, we offer them another sort of screening tool, which people, I think, find very helpful. And the acronym for it is FIT. And that stands for Feasibility, Impact, and Timeliness. Oh, I thought so you said you're... FIT, which I thought would have been also very appropriate to some <laughs> strategies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So FIT, Feasibility, Impact, Timeliness. And and what that means, simply, is rather than list of pros and cons, which can also just get, as you know, overwhelming. It's like 20 pros and 20 cons, so how am I better off now? You know, I still don't understand what to do. But um, feasibility, impact, timeliness is such a great screen because you can first you look at, and that's uh, when you're talking about hard or easy. Feasibility just means can we do it? Do we have the bandwidth? Do we have the resources? Do we have the will? Do we have the culture? You know, is it possible for us to do this really? you know, sincerely, <laughs> can we actually do this? So that's a good first screen. Second screen, in this case, impact means kind of bang for the buck. Will this get it, what will get us farthest for the least amount of investment of time and energy? So you're looking for return on energy, return on investment. You want to get, right. you want to have high leverage, right, strategies and tactics. Mm-hmm. And then timeliness has two elements. It means first order, like sometimes you have to do some things before you do other things, so you need to think yeah. about that. Is this a, a first thing to do? And then the other um, timeliness thing is sometimes there's an opportunity that's a kind of limited window of time. And sometimes there are strategies and tactics that will be hugely leveraged by taking advantage of some opportunity that's available right then. Like one example I use in the book and I talk about a lot with our clients is 
you know, when FDR created the New Deal, and he had he wanted sort of economic stimulus, you know, he wanted to make up work to put people back to work. Well, there was an opportunity that existed then that um, America was both getting electrified, you know, and and cars were also becoming a standard mode of transportation. So there was a lot of work that needed to be done to move the country forward, you know, build bridges, make dams, spring wires. That also was individual work for people. So, you know, Tennessee Valley Authority and Works Project Administration, they were able to give work to people that wasn't just make work, that took advantage of opportunities that were available in the country at the time. So feasibility impact timeline is just it's a great screen to help people sort through which is going to which is going to what things are going to get them farthest toward their vision. Very interesting. Well, um, I know that you tell a, a lot of different stories, and and that certainly people who have read your book, uh, you know, have come back and commented on on the book itself. And and uh, again, the, those of our regulars who are on uh, a lot of calls or who uh, download a lot know that I, I just love books that give you a practical mm-hmm. way to work through things. And and your layout of your book is is just one of the most brilliant. I mean, sometimes I, I wish it were spiral bound rather than, uh, you know, perfect yeah. bound uh, because okay, it, it is such a wonderful combination of book and workbook. So uh, what what was your favorite, um, you know, story uh, other than the the intro story of building the castle, or or if that isn't appropriate, what is uh, your favorite story of people who uh, needed your help, read the book, and then came back and and told you what it was that changed their world? Oh well, I I, I can answer that a little bit differently. I'll tell you about mm-hmm. my first um, our our first real vision and strategy client. So it was long before I wrote the book, but. Um, it's a wonderful story. I love to tell it. In, mm-hmm. in 1992, just a couple of years after I started the company, a guy named Danny Meyer, who Marge, I'm sure, knows since she's a New Yorker, um, who, who has a company called Union Square Hospitality Group, he had a, a, a restaurant called Union Square Cafe, which had already been in existence for about 10 years and was very popular. It had risen to be consistently one or two in the, the God most popular restaurants in New York. And he was about to open a second restaurant. And he came to us and said, I know, such a smart man, I know that having two restaurants is hugely different than having one. And I also know that one of the reasons that um, Union Square Cafe has been so popular is because I'm there almost every night. And I can't be in two places almost every night, and I want to have a lot of other restaurants. You know, he said, my, my goal at some point in my life is to have, the, is to have all, many restaurants, all of which are in the top 20 most popular list in New York. I'm like, wow, okay, that's pretty visionary. So we sat down with Danny. I sat down with Danny and his partners at that time. We created their first kind of vision and strategy for how they were going to open what came to be Gramercy Tavern and how Danny was going to institutionalize what we came to call Danny Dust. How, what, what is it that he brought to the table that really made it to you? Well, so fast forward 18 years, Danny is now the most successful restaurateur in the country, maybe in the world. He has 15 different properties, some of which are starting to be franchised all over the world. Um, he has only closed one restaurant in all that time. Um, and he, his restaurants, Union Square and Gramercy, the second one, have for the last 20 years been duking it out for number one and two most popular in this got. He now has eight of his restaurants in the top 20 in New York. And he wow. calls us back. You know, every couple of years we come back and update their vision as that when they get to an inflection point in their organization. So, 
that and he, you know so I yeah that's that's my proudest <laughs> my proudest you know example of how this can really help an organization. Oh, I love that, and and you know and and kind of the converse of that is is when you have someone who you walk through all of these principles, and you know I certainly have had them in in my history of uh, consulting over the last 15 years of you say all the right things and they nod and they say yes yes this is where we want to go and then again they revert back to that you know culture eat strategy for lunch and and they're not willing to make the cultural or structural changes um, that are really necessary to get where they want to go so what is coming out of their mouth and what they're willing to put on a a mission statement or a vision isn't what they're willing to live. And I forget how you worded it earlier, but you, you really got across to me the point that, you know, you you have to have a, a strategy that is, is really kind of your life's work. And that means yeah. you, it's not a destination. Yeah, it really no, isn't a, a destination. Phrase, no, absolutely. The phrase we use is map of the work. And what I would you know, this is easier as a consultant, certainly, than it is as an internal consultant. But, you know, one of the things we've learned over the years is you you need to get good at figuring out fairly early on which what's not a good use of your energy. Because, you know, those yes. those clients do not and, and go, oh, yeah, and then don't do anything. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible for you. It's horrible for the people who work for them who hope and think this is going to be a real thing, and then they don't right. really support it. So you have to you have to get your kind of Geiger counter for BS really is set up pretty well so that early on, if if a if a consulting engagement around strategy isn't going to go anywhere, you you can bow out. You can say, you know, I don't think this is a great fit, or you know, I'm right. not sure we're the right consultant for you because otherwise, it's just it's awful. It's a waste of their time and money. It's a waste of your time, and it feels demoralizing and you know, my bias is always free yourself to work with people who really want to do the work, you know? Right, right. Well, that that has, is certainly what we have come to. And, you know, I think that one of the things, uh, anyone who's in sales and is trying to figure out, um, you know, how they can be successful, so coming up with their own strategic sales plan for their world, um, you know, typically comes around to the point where they lay out what does that perfect customer look like. And, you know, I exactly. remember uh, Rebecca and, and myself and a couple of other people on our team got together a little over a year ago and, and really mapped that out. And, you know, one of the things that we said was if if somebody isn't willing, you know, to put their money where their mouth is and or, or worse, thinks that they have already achieved the end end game and and you know doesn't see that they need to have change that you know that's the signal that uh you know our work is done and you know perhaps and I I, ca- I cannot it. agree with you more about this tricky in fact our own vision our own internal vision for Proteus one of the elements of it we call vision and strategy 360 and oh. the way we we define it is identify capable clients and enable them to be fully strategic. So it's clients who are capable and willing of actually doing it and then help them to be fully strategic as a, as a powerful generator of success for their own businesses. Well, I love that. And, you know, that's a, a really good note to uh, to end the interview portion of this. And, uh, you know, we only have a, a small group that are, are live on the call today, but uh, if any one of them does have a question, I will just remind you guys that you need to take yourself off mute. And if you have either a comment 
um, or a question, and and uh, just as we're wrapping up, and you guys are thinking about that and getting yourselves off mute. Uh, again, Erica's book is called Being Strategic, Plan for Success, Outthink Your Competitors, and Stay Ahead of Change. And again, it's Erica, which is E R I K A. Anderson with an E at the end instead of an O. And uh, Erica, where can people reach you? What is the best place um, to find you? Well, I'm, I love that you just spelled my name because I blog at ericaanderson.com. So <laughs> it's very oh, easy wonderful. to find you there. And I also now blog for Forbes. So that's uh, blog.forbes.com backslash ericaanderson. So oh, that's, either that's great. And, uh, again, for those uh, who are listening to the Ag broadcast uh, after the fact on demand, uh, Erica's contact information is also located on the Executive Girlfriends Group uh, site, and I will make sure that we have links to her blog. So rather than having to remember that, you can just click oh, on it. Oh, thank you. And uh, that will make it easy for everyone. So does anybody have a comment before we wrap up the recorded portion? Uh, it's March. Just quickly, I just wanted to thank you, Erica. This is certainly very timely for me. The um, the client that I mentioned I have, Goldman Sachs, uh, uh, we got lots of data to sip through. It's in different different forms and different meanings and, and all that. So sifting through that to you know to tell a story and and you know they really expect not just to see the data and even it's sliced and put pretty on graphs, but they want us to say or answer the question, so what? You know, so what does this mean, yeah. et cetera? Yeah. So, so what? Exactly. <laughs> right, so what? Um, this is the data. What does it mean? What should I do with it? And blah, blah, and all that good stuff. So yeah. uh, this has been very helpful, and I think I will uh, pick up your books so I can get busy working on my strategy quickly and, and with the oh, good. With the yeah, with and the again, Marge, I think you'll find it's got, it's got – so many practical things that that help you lay it out and, and visualize it, and and these are also tools you can use with your your client uh, right. to help them think through you know their options, and um, you know I, it is definitely a great investment. Oh, good. Thank you. It's on Kindle else? too, if you're a Kindle person. Um, no, but I'm I'm seriously considering getting the Kindle. Actually, I'm seriously considering getting the iPad, and then can download it there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good. I've got I've got that same setup, and so Erica, that's great to know because I I am going to uh, to do that as well because it would be terrific just to have it with me. And not that I don't love carrying your book around with me, I do. <laughs> but <laughs> nice it does get heavy. electronic version. Yep, yep. yep. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Erica, and uh, we will definitely stay in touch. I'll, I'll uh, certainly let you know the outcome, and, and I have woven some of your stuff in, into the strategy uh, that we're working on and, and uh, you know, have certainly pointed out your book uh, to my client, and, you know, I would oh, love great. to. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking about getting a, a couple of copies uh, so that I can uh, hand it out uh to the appropriate people. <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear how that goes. Can we post it? All right, terrific. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we are stopping the recording now because what's said on the rest of the egg call stays on the egg call. All right. Thanks, thanks ladies. It's lovely okay. to talk to you. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Erica. Bye-bye. Bye.